You're listening to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast, the official podcast of the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation. We're bringing you the very best from the APSF newsletter and website, as well as the latest information in perioperative patient safety. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast. My name is Allie Bechtel, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us for another show. We hope you tuned in last week for our discussion of a pediatric patient safety threat related to button battery ingestion. And this is a big threat that comes with a high morbidity and mortality. We are returning to this topic today. So let's head back to the nearest pediatric ward to review anesthetic considerations and mitigation strategies following pediatric button battery ingestion. Before we dive into the episode today, we'd like to recognize Medtronic, a major corporate supporter of APSF. Medtronic has generously provided unrestricted support to further our vision that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care. Thank you, Medtronic. We wouldn't be able to do all that we do without you. Our featured article today is once again, Perioperative Management of Button Battery Ingestions in Children by Hoagland and colleagues. To follow along with us, head over to APSF.org and click on the newsletter heading. First one down is the current issue, then scroll down until you get to our featured article today. I will include a link in the show notes as well. You can also get to the February 2022 APSF newsletter by clicking on the newsletter heading, and then the fifth one down is the newsletter archives, and then scroll down until you get to the February 2022 APSF newsletter. This is also where you can find all of the APSF newsletters all the way back to 1986. Last week, we discussed why button battery ingestion is such a serious event since the battery causes an electrolytic current that hydrolyzes tissue fluids with the production of hydroxide ions at the battery's negative pole. When this happens, there is a very alkaline environment with local tissue pH as high as 12 to 13 with the resultant liquefactive necrosis of the surrounding tissues. The damage may be extensive with perforation and erosion into nearby structures such as the airway, major blood vessels, mediastinal structures, or spinal cord. The most common cause of mortality is hemorrhage from an esophageal vascular fistula or complications from a tracheoesophageal fistula. Patients who develop an aortoesophageal fistula are at high risk for mortality. We mentioned last week that there are standardized protocols for initial triage and management of patients with suspected button battery ingestion to help identify high-risk patients and expedite removal of the battery. Today, we are going to head over to the National Capital Poison Center to review their detailed management guidelines. This independent and not-for-profit organization is based in the United States. I will include a link in the show notes as well. Here we go. The first step is to keep button battery ingestion on the differential diagnosis, especially in these situations. Keep in mind that children under the age of five may not be able to tell you what happened. When it is reported that a, quote, coin has been ingested, make sure to review the AP chest x-ray closely using magnification if necessary, looking for the double rim or the halo effect of the battery. 
On the lateral x-ray, you can look for a step-off. When there is a patient with no history of ingestion, but with these concerning symptoms, airway obstruction or wheezing, drooling, vomiting, chest discomfort, difficulty swallowing, decreased appetite, refusal to eat, coughing, choking, gagging with eating or drinking. The next couple of steps are critical when there is a known or suspected battery ingestion. Do not induce vomiting. Keep NPO except for honey administration. Administer commercial honey or carefate 10 mLs or 2 teaspoons every 10 minutes for patients over 12 months old who are able to swallow when there is a suspected lithium battery ingestion that occurred in the past 12 hours. Remember, honey is not safe for patients less than 12 months old. In addition, after 12 hours from the battery ingestion, there is a high risk that an esophageal perforation has already occurred, so it is not safe to administer honey in this situation either. Do not delay going to the emergency room and proceeding with emergent removal of the button battery. Let's stop here on the protocol so that we can talk about why honey administration is recommended in these cases. Honey acts to coat the battery and form a protective layer that helps to prevent local generation of hydroxide, leading to less liquefactive necrosis and less local tissue injury. Literature supports this practice based on the 2018 study by Anne Fang and colleagues published in Laryngoscope. This study evaluated apple juice, orange juice, Gatorade, Powerade, pure honey, pure maple syrup, and carafate with a 3-volt lithium button battery in porcine esophagus models. The authors reported that honey and carafate were the most protective in vitro and in vivo in live American Yorkshire piglets. These two substances were effective in preventing the tissue pH increase that occurs following button battery ingestion with less local tissue injury. The tissue injuries tended to not extend as far and to be more superficial. The conclusion from this study is that administration of honey or carafate as soon as possible after the ingestion with repeat administration followed by endoscopic removal of the button battery may lead to decreased morbidity and mortality. Okay, and now let's return to the protocol. The next step is to take up to five minutes to figure out the imprint code of the battery that was ingested. You may be able to do this with a companion or replacement battery, the battery packaging, or product instructions. If this is not available, you may be able to measure the slot that the battery fits into or to estimate the size compared to a U.S. penny, which is 19 millimeters, or a U.S. nickel, which is 21 millimeters. This is also the time to consult the National Battery Ingestion Hotline at 800-498-8666 for assistance in battery identification and continued patient management. The next steps depend on the patient's age, so let's look at patients less than 12 years old and patients older than 12 years old with a battery that is larger than 12 millimeters. These patients require an immediate x-ray with emergent removal within two hours if the battery is in the esophagus. The location is important here, not the symptoms. Even asymptomatic patients require emergent removal if the battery is in the esophagus. If the battery was co-ingested with a magnet, then this requires emergent endoscopic or open removal if it is located in the stomach or beyond. 
In addition, if patients have symptoms and the location is in the stomach, the battery still needs to be removed emergently with an endoscopic approach. The steps may be a little different for patients older than 12 years old with a battery that is smaller than 12 millimeters if all of the following conditions apply. The patient is asymptomatic. Only one battery was ingested. There is no magnet that has been co-ingested. You are certain that the battery is less than 12 millimeters in diameter. There is no pre-existing esophageal disease. And the patient or caregiver is reliable and mentally competent and agrees to seek immediate further evaluation if symptoms develop. This is so important. If symptoms develop later, the patient will require further evaluation and endoscopic removal of the battery. Before we discuss the management for button batteries that are located in the esophagus, let's review the protocol for batteries that are in the stomach and beyond. If a magnet was co-ingested, then the patient requires emergent endoscopic removal if possible or open removal of the battery and magnet. For batteries alone, if there are signs or symptoms, then proceed with endoscopic removal of the battery. If the button battery cannot be reached by the endoscope, then open removal may be indicated for patients with bleeding, severe abdominal pain, acute abdomen, fever, or decreased appetite. When the button battery is larger than 15 millimeters and located in the stomach, and the patient is greater than six years old and remains asymptomatic, then a wait and see approach may be reasonable with an x-ray four days after ingestion. If the battery remains in the stomach at this time, then endoscopic removal is necessary. Don't forget, if the patient develops symptoms, then you will need to move back onto the symptomatic pathway and remove the battery. Now is the moment you've been waiting for. What do we need to do when the button battery is found to be in the esophagus? This is when immediate removal is required. Don't delay removal for NPO status, but keep in mind that patients may have been given honey or caraphate prior to coming to the operating room. Endoscopic removal is the preferred technique. Prior to battery removal, it is important to note the battery location and the direction the negative pole faces. After battery removal, direct visualization of the esophageal tissue to evaluate for location, extent, and depth of tissue damage is critical. The last step during the procedure, if there is no evidence of esophageal perforation, is for irrigation of any damaged areas with 50 to 150 mLs of 0.25% sterile acetic acid. This helps to further neutralize the esophageal tissue surface. This is a newer recommendation that may help decrease the risk for progressive esophageal injury from the alkaline environment caused by the button battery. Following the procedure, patients may require ICU-level care. Be on the lookout for these complications. Tracheoesophageal fistula, esophageal perforation, mediastinitis, vocal cord paralysis, tracheal stenosis or tracheomalacia, aspiration pneumonia, empyema, lung abscess, pneumothorax, spondylodiscitis, exsanguination from a perforation into a large vessel. There may be a delay in the development of complications of days to weeks to months for perforation, fistula, and stricture formation, so you will need to remain vigilant. It's time to return to the conclusion of the APSF newsletter article. 
The authors of the article remind us that anesthesia professionals need to be prepared for these patients to come to the operating room for emergent endoscopic removal. Do not delay the case for adequate NPO time for patients who receive honey or caraphate. This is an emergent procedure, and any delays may lead to worsening esophageal injury. The authors created two infographics, one for parents and one for anesthesia professionals, related to button battery ingestions that we are going to review now. I hope that you will take a look at them as well. Plus, they are available on the Society for Pediatric Anesthesia website, and I will include a link in the show notes. That way, you can make these available in your department and hospital to help keep pediatric patients safe. First up, the infographic for parents with the title, Button Batteries Can Be Deadly. Then, there are four boxes that tell parents what a button battery is, why are they dangerous, how can I avoid accidents, and what to do if your child swallows a button battery. The next infographic is for anesthesia professionals with the title, Button Battery Ingestions for Anesthesia Professionals. The first box provides information about the problem with over 3,500 ingestions each year and 12.6% of children less than six years old developing serious or fatal complications. The next box reveals the mechanism with the button battery creating an electric current that causes tissue injury and necrosis that is related to the duration and location of impaction, as well as the size and voltage of the battery. The next box provides information about high-risk patients, which includes age less than 5 years old, battery greater than 20 millimeters, prior bleed, negative pole or narrow side facing posteriorly, and impacted at the level of the aorta. On the following side of the infographic is a box with anesthetic considerations that includes the following. Extraction is emergent. Goal is removal within two hours. Do not delay for NPO time. Consider appropriate staff, equipment, and location for removal. Assess risk factors for bleeding and be prepared for blood loss and hemodynamic instability. Patients may require inpatient monitoring and repeat procedures. These infographics provide a lot of information about how to keep pediatric patients safe. We hope that you will check them out and share them with parents of young children, as well as any anesthesia and other healthcare professionals that you work with who may be involved in the care of pediatric patients following button battery ingestions. If you have any questions or comments from today's show, please email us at podcast at APSF.org. Please keep in mind that the information in this show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical or legal advice. We hope that you will visit APSF.org for detailed information and check out the show notes for links to all the topics we discussed today. We are almost at our 100th episode, and we hope that you will share this podcast with anyone you know who's interested in anesthesia patient safety, including your surgical and procedural colleagues, nurses, and hospital administrators. Plus, you can connect with us on Twitter at APSForg and using the hashtag, hashtag APSFpodcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We would love to hear from you as we work towards improved anesthesia patient safety. Until next time, stay vigilant so that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care.